are listening to Weekly Wisdom, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Haddonfield, New Jersey. This episode is a sermon by Reverend Nikki Passante titled Doubting Thomas. It's about the disciple of Jesus who demanded proof that he had been resurrected before he would believe in him. We hope that you'll enjoy it. that is only pulled out of the drawer once a year and dusted off and expose something that will be vital for our time today. And it happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a simple enough section. We have read over it year after year. Some of us heard it on Monday, Thursday, and it needs to be heard again. And it's chapter 18, verse 3. It says, And Judas brought a detachment of soldiers with him to arrest Jesus. Do you know how many Roman soldiers are in a detachment? Before I tell you, I'm going to guess that most of us have envisioned this scene as a group of soldiers coming to arrest Jesus under cover of night and they hustle him off the scene. A detachment is 600 Roman soldiers. And it says, Judas brought 600 Roman soldiers with the police from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus asked a simple question. He says, whom are you looking for? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus replied, I am he. And this is what we missed. When Jesus said, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground and worshipped him. He has to goad them into arresting him. He says again, get up. Who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I told you I am he. Come and do what you came to do. This scripture tells us that when humankind is confronted with Jesus, they cannot help but bow down and worship him. I have sat with enough people who have died that I am convinced that there is a moment in all of our dying, and it's this moment between life and death, when we are between this world and the next, and Christ stands in the hallway, and every soul will be confronted with his power. I think it is against our very nature as created beings of God to reject him. In the afterworld. If you watch Yellowstone, my favorite line comes at the end of season four when at a news conference, rancher John Dutton says, I am the wall that progress crashes against. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Right? The power of Christ is such that I am never concerned, true, I am never concerned about non believers, atheists, agnostics, Wiccan, Christian scientists, and the like. The power of Christ compels us. The saying is sure and worthy and full of acceptance that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And the disciples were locked away for fear of the Jews. Says it right there. Twice for emphasis. Now you need to know that the Jews were a very negative group of people for the gospel writer of John. He uses the term negatively 70 to 80 times. 
The disciples were locked away. It's not an innocuous detail. It says it twice for emphasis. Verse 20, when it was evening on that first day of the week and the doors where the disciples met were locked. Verse 26, a week later the disciples were again in the fellowship house and the doors were shut. Friends, this is what fear will do to us. Listening for every creak in the floor and for a knock on the door, lest the emissaries of the Sanhedrin come and lock us up as well. Fear will lock us up. Do you know that anger isn't even a primary emotion? Fear is the base of anger. All anger arises from fear. It is the most deadly human emotion, a second only to jealousy. Fear is evil's principal weapon, writes Beth Moore. It will isolate us and shut us down. And Thomas, one of the twelve, was not there. Where is he? He could be out getting provisions, food for the group, or perhaps he's out getting provisional information. Is it safe to come out? What's the word on the street since Christ's crucifixion? I can't find Thomas anywhere. I've looked all over the scripture for him, and I can't find him, except in two other places. Thomas has no parallel in any of the other Gospels. He's only found in John, and the first occasion is in chapter 11, when he tells his fellow disciples who are reluctant to follow Jesus to Bethany because they just tried to stone them there, he says, Great, let us go also, so that we may die with him. The second is when Jesus tells his disciples that there are many dwelling places in his father's house, that he's going to prepare a place for them, and they know the way there. But Thomas interrupts, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So courageous Thomas, yes. Clarifying Thomas, yes. But doubting Thomas? Questions and doubts are two different things. I mean, Mary Magdalene saw Jesus, and she took him to be the gardener. And then she told the disciples, and they didn't believe her. But now Thomas has become the designated doubter for the Christian tradition. It's like saying I'm the designated driver for every Presbyterian function. Truth be told, I am the designated driver for all my Episcopal friends' functions, because that communion line has to go somewhere for Sunday brunch. It seems to me Thomas is not doubting, but rather Captain Obvious when it comes to who Jesus is. What makes greater sense is that the disciples, in their emotional upheaval, they're speaking of things they imagine, things that they wish were true. I think Thomas gets it clearly. I think it's humanity that Thomas has doubts about. It's amazing how far we have come in technological advancement, and development and scientific concepts, but we still have yet to grasp how to take up the space we inhabit. We still look to other people to tell us how to think and what to do. Emotional contagion is a real thing. Contagion of opinion is an even realer thing. Oscar Wilde wrote, most people are other people. Their thoughts are someone else's opinions, their lives and mimicry, their passions and quotation. And there's a great meme on Facebook. It says somewhere that the black sheep of the family is just the one who doesn't play by the same rules as everybody else. 
So if Thomas is doubting because he refuses to be locked up and hiding away, I'll take it. Because how I read this is that Thomas refuses to be captive to fear. Unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the marks of the nails and his side, I will not believe. Seems to me Thomas listens to no word but God's word. And the doors were locked. Notice it for a second and just feel it. Scripture says it twice for emphasis. This is not an innocuous detail. What are you locked up over today? What's got you locked up? And Christ stands among them and among us. Notice it. Feel it. Scripture says it twice for emphasis. This is not an innocuous detail. Without explanation, Jesus stands among them and not once but twice extends peace. This didn't need to be added to the prayer chain. The pastor didn't have to pay a visit. It wasn't approved by session without imagining it could even be a possibility without being able to understand it or explain it or send off for a fancy public speaker. Jesus comes. Jesus always comes. This Christ is not a normal physical presence, having the ability to pass through locked doors, yet retaining the marks of death so that they may be seen and that they may be felt. The boundaries between the physical and the spiritual have been transgressed. The border between the mystical realm and the actual unhinged. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes, changes the entire atmosphere of the room brings a totally different temperature. He blows in with quiet hush and breathes out peace. Peace be with you. Peace. Peace. Over and over again. Peace in the midst of fear. Until you can hear it. Until you can breathe it in. Fear is no longer the contagion. It is the Holy Spirit that is the contagion. All you have to do is breathe it in. Because the facts are, Jesus comes. I will often get messages from people and I often have conversations with people along the following lines. And this does not count any of my baptized children here today. (laughs) I hear from parents concerned that their eight-month-old baby is too old to be baptized, that they need to get it done right away. Many years ago, I had a nine-year-old child that had not been baptized because of a total snafu in, in leadership. I could go on and was convinced that her child was not going to heaven. If I need to say this today, God is not superstitious so as to reject anyone from heaven because they are not baptized. I also have a conversation with church members concerned about where all the college students have gone. They're in college. They're learning how to live. They're becoming adults. I also have conversations from spouses who are concerned about their unbelieving spouse or that jerk of a relative who's an atheist. I could go on. If Jesus can come to frighten disciples who betray him, deny him, abandon him, what is to prevent him from coming to you? 
If Jesus can meet Thomas in his greatest need and demand, can he not meet you in yours? If God can heal the physical body of Christ, can he not heal yours? Jesus comes. He comes through locked doors, inviting doubters and blasphemers and believers alike to touch the untouchable, to see the unseen, to know the unknown. Whatever it takes, by hook or by crook or by whip or by chain or by cross and by Christ, Jesus comes. So friends, I am never concerned about non-believers, atheists, agnostics, Wiccan, Christian scientists, you name it. The power of Christ is such that we cannot help but bow down. Jesus does not set up obstacles like we do. Jesus is in the business of meeting people exactly where they are. Christ even comes to errant, unbaptized nine-year-olds, confirmation class dropouts, young adult miscreants, and Thomas the Doubter for the decades, who in all eons delivers one of the strongest declarations of faith recorded in all the New Testament, my Lord and my God. The message, friends, will not miss you, and no locked door, real or imagined, can prevent it from coming. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through him you may have life in his name. And the last verse of this gospel says this, but there are also many other things that Jesus did. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And for that one person who needs to hear this today, I'm here to tell you it might be time to get out of the house. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review this podcast so that we can reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. To support our ministry, go to www.haddonfieldprez.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the page. Grace and peace be with you.